What's up guys, glad to be back with a new episode. Sorry I had to take a small hiatus to finish up some other music video projects the last few months, plus scheduling people for the podcast can sometimes be a few months out, and it's hard to just line everything up. But we have a special guest today who I'm proud to share the same name with, and no, I'm not interviewing myself, international chef and nephew Nick Grosvenor. Now Nick has traveled the globe honing his culinary skills to create some of the best dishes from places such as Alaska, the Florida Everglades, the San Juan Islands, San Diego, all the way to Bulgaria, as well as research in Turkey, Cyprus, Greece, Serbia, and Montenegro. Now his portfolio of works not only art that'll make you hungry, but it'll also make you want to travel. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and turn on notifications for future episodes, and let's go! My biggest issue, that's actually what I wanted to talk to you about, um, is waking up and eating. <laughs> waking up and eating? I can't do it. You can't eat in the morning? No, dude, I can't wake up and eat. Oh my God, you have to. Uh, I know they say breakfast is the most important, whatever, but I just can't, I have to be up for at least three or four hours before I eat something. That's crazy. Yeah, the reason I think for that is a lot of people have said, you need the carbs, you know, you need the carbs for the energy and all that stuff. But, you know, recently I've been going to the gym a lot more and I've been working with the trainer and everything. And he told me that actually the main thing is the protein. Hmm. Within 15 minutes of waking up, your body is starving for protein, I guess. And so that's the main reason why you actually should eat in the morning. So just load up on protein? Correct. Like peanut butter, meats, something like that. Yeah, I mean, you could do like eggs, bacon, whatever it is, but yeah. also it's because you can put all, a lot of your carbs in your morning meal because you have the rest of the day to burn it off. Oh, right, you right. Right. See, right. I don't need to burn anything off. <laughs> <laughs> I know, you probably have the metabolism of like a 15-year-old. Yeah, I try to eat three to 4,000 calories a day, which is hard, and that's oh my what my I hate you so much. I, I, I burn so much, dude. If I, if well, I don't stick nice. with it, I lose it. That's what everybody says. <laughs> must be nice. Man, it's hard for me, too. Everybody's trying to lose weight. I'm trying to gain weight. It's just as hard, damn it. <laughs> it's a completely different struggle, though. I'll tell it's you just, what. I know. It's the opposite end of the spectrum, but it's still a struggle. <laughs> yeah, if I eat whatever I want, I look like I eat whatever I want. Oh, okay. I don't burn anything off unless I try to burn it off. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a good t-shirt if you i like eat that? whatever i want i look like i eat whatever i want <laughs> yeah. oh, shit. i think actually so, my uh sixth grade science teacher she was the one who told me that and i've just remembered it ever since nice so where are you at right now you're in utah yes i am in park city utah currently okay uh working at a fine dining restaurant and then uh you were in dallas right doing the show yeah, for the competition so yeah. before that i was in uh san juan island uh working at roche harbor um well let's backtrack a little bit i was working in the florida keys and covid hit and so our restaurant got shut down um it was actually when we shut down it was my 47th day in a row working 17 mm-hmm. hour days i was working 105 hours a week jeez yeah, so then all of a sudden we get this uh, this memo that we were closing in like five hours. Like I remember it was like a Sunday, it was like March 27th or something like that, and we were closing in five hours. I can't tell you 
how excited I was. <laughs> like everybody, everybody was so upset, and I was the only one that was like, "Oh, thank God." Wait, they were so, closing. Yeah, anyway, we clo- we closed down for COVID. Okay. Um, and so I had all this free time. And so I saw this uh, this competition for the World Food Championships. Mm-hmm. So I entered it. I did not know that you could submit more than one dish. So I submitted one dish. I spent, I don't know, maybe four days working on this dish. Everybody else submitted, I'm assuming, the 10, you know. Um, so there was thousands of dishes submitted. And so after I submitted my dish, I realized what I did. And so I thought for sure, there's no way, there's no way I'm going to win, you know? Yeah. Um, waited two weeks for the deadline, you know, to, to end. And I checked their Facebook and they announced me as the winner. Whoa. And I think I cried. Mm. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I cried. <laughs> uh, not, I mean, cause the world food championships is, um, the biggest food competition in the world. Okay. Um, but also it was just the first time that I had ever competed in anything culinarily mm-hmm. and won, you know, or ever. So, right. so yeah, the, the competition was supposed to happen 2020, um, in November, um, in Dallas. And then obviously COVID was still happening. So mm-hmm. they, they stopped it, postponed it. Um, so then, yeah, I ended up going back to Roche Harbor resort, uh, to work my second season at that time. And I spent the whole season working on this dish. The whole season. Um, or it was uh, two dishes, actually, that I had to work on. And then, yeah, after the season ended, then I ended up going to Dallas and competing. It was like a five, six-day event. And so when you say working on the dish, like, you mean perfecting it or tweaking it, changing the recipe or what? Yeah. Um, so actually, a lot of time was spent just figuring out what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Like what dish, you know, I wanted to cook. So a lot of time was spent researching some of the other previous years winning dishes um, yeah. for my category. Um, the judges change change every year, so you can't really you can't really gauge it on like what each judge likes, which I actually kind of appreciated um, because there's a lot of returnees, a lot of people that compete every year. Yeah, and so these people, if the judges were the same, could learn what each judge likes you know what I yeah, mean yeah favoritism um, so yeah a lot of time was spent just figuring out what I was going to do and then I probably spent about I would say four or five months like perfecting the dish that I decided I was going to do mm. um, <laughs> the actual competition was so nerve wracking <laughs> uh, you don't realize I've never you think working in a professional setting um, you have a clock in your mind Right. As to how long the dish has until it has to go out. Right. Mm. So you think that that would help you in terms of having a clock right up on the, like a projector screen, yeah. you know, yeah. like the being countdown like, oh, clock. I, fuck, I, yeah. I cook all the time. The you know, D-Day and, clock. Yeah. Like yeah. Legit. <laughs> but it doesn't prepare you for it. Like when you can look up and actually see a countdown and there's hundreds of people around you and their own little kitchens right i mean it is just so nerve-wracking so my first dish was szechuan noodles um they tell you the first dish that you're supposed to submit okay um you have to use one of their sponsored ingredients and stuff 
So I did a Szechuan noodle. I remember I had five minutes left until I had to submit this dish. So I have a video somewhere of me walking up with my dish all leisurely, you know? Yeah, that's what I, had I five saw. five minutes, I had all the time in the world. Oh, yeah. Um, and then there's a video of me turning in my second dish with 10 seconds left. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and that was, I was running. I was running was through the- ass. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, and also like there's, hundreds if not thousands of people standing around you know spectators and everything right um and then there's people with big cameras mm -hmm. and there's people trying to run next to you with like little microphones you know uh so yeah the whole thing was just so very very intense uh that my second dish i actually did not get everything on the plate <sighs> so that did kind of uh it did kind of screw me a little bit but um overall the experience was just amazing i mean the sense of camaraderie there huh. is astonishing like you would think that it's very i mean it is very competitive right god what was it nobody Somebody tried to sabotage anybody <laughs> yeah like see that's the type of like thing that you think happens there but actually when i was the last person to turn in my dish for my my second dish the one where i had 10 seconds left and if you finish cooking your dish you actually can come help out other competitors Oh, okay. So I had other competitors who, you know, were done coming up to me. And I was also the only one in the entire competition across all 10 categories that competed by themselves. Oh, okay. So everybody ha else can have up to two other people in their little kitchen. Mm -hmm. But I had myself because since I travel a lot, it would have been impossible for me to have anybody that I could like practice the dishes with. Right. You know? um, so, yeah. I had people coming up to me and asking me like, hey, do you want me to help you? Do you want me to chop that? Do you want me to blah, blah, blah? And I was being so stubborn because <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to win by myself. Uh. And so I also screwed myself because yeah, had I had help, uh, it would have been a breeze. But yeah, I was like, no, I got it, I got it. And then I'm looking at my plate and like half the things I didn't have on the plate and I look up and there's 10 seconds and the referee is standing right in front of my, my table and he's counting down. He's uh -huh. going 12, 11, 10, uh, not, and I'm like, ah, you know, I didn't even have time to turn around and like put the sauce on the plate. So I just had to grab this tray and run. Oh, geez. So submitting to the competition the first time you could have done 10 dishes and you did one <laughs> correct lesson yeah. learned and then Lots in the learn. show <laughs> the other contestants yeah. could have came up and helped you and you're like nah i got this <laughs> <laughs> no i got it i'm good lesson learned <laughs> yeah and then you pan over to me running through the arena <laughs> right <laughs> trying not to spill your dish on the way oh my god yeah that's awesome and I, i'm sure it's more stressful having that big clock but also just the whole production being there and did they come up and like interview you mid? Oh yeah, mid cooking. Yeah, oh, that's which, so, uh, so frustrating when I see that on TV. I'm like, I would just tell them I can't talk. Oh yeah, <laughs> leave me alone. And that's because like when I've watched, you know, like Chopped, Chopped or yeah. like and any of those other ones, where like they're sweating, they're dripping sweat, and they're running around, and they got like 30 seconds on the clock, and the person comes up to them with a microphone and puts it in their face and is asking them like, what, what you're gonna do? Right. Um, I'm just like, what a dick. <laughs> they do it on purpose yeah, yeah. that's production yeah, i know but it's like you can clearly tell that they're like in the zone you know they're trying yeah. to do their thing the clock's ticking 
and now you just separated their focus you know yeah and so yeah they did that to me about twice um during the competition where you're in the middle of doing all your stuff and they walk up to you and they ask you you know what you're preparing um what's your x factor which is the thing that's gonna separate your dish from the other dishes yeah um and but you're not in that mindset you know you're in the you mindset could care less of, about that yeah yeah like i'm like okay this is what i have to do next this is what i have to do after that and then all of a sudden they just show up and you look up and they got the microphone in your face and they're like so what what are you preparing for us today and you're like uh can i swear yeah of course okay um but you want to just say fuck off you know right right <laughs> get I'll out of my face you'll see what i'm preparing when i'm done leave me alone yeah man. when i put it in front of you you know <laughs> right but yeah so obviously you can't say that so right uh you have to just smile and tell them oh today i'm preparing for you a beautiful duck breast with uh, you know <laughs> as you're just like dripping sweat um and also i mean like i know you've you know been in movies and you know you've worked in the industry and stuff so for you, it might not seem like a big deal, but for somebody who's never really had to like stand in front of a camera, mm. you know, or anything like that, just that alone, even hey. if they weren't asking you any questions, is so nerve wracking. Oh yeah. Now couple that with the fact that they're asking you questions, with the fact that there's hundreds of people around you competing against you, right. and a clock that's yeah. counting down on the wall. <laughs> It was by far the most nerve-wracking experience of my entire life. I, it, it sounds like it's four, fourfold because I, I completely understand what you mean. In front of the camera makes you nervous, but then people don't realize there's a full production crew right behind it with 20 people. Exactly. But then you have an audience as well, a live audience, and then that clock. Yes, yeah, because that's, that's one thing too is, uh, you know, I don't know for you, but the camera necessarily, I guess, isn't so much the, the issue. You know, the camera is just like a machine. If you're looking at it, it's, but it's the fact that, like you said, there's people behind the camera who are all staring at you, mm -hmm. you know? And so you have to like look into this camera and, you know, pretend like there's not 50 <laughs> to 100 people behind that camera yeah. all watching like everything you're saying. And uh, so, yeah, it was there, a, are, there are people though that I've seen where it's just a small crew. They try to keep it as small as possible. Um, so that there isn't that nervousness. But as soon as that camera comes out, I've seen people just get nervous. Just it's just something about a camera being pointed at you it makes you feel oh, uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. Well, because it's it's a, uh, I think it's because it's like cementing whatever you're doing. Whereas if you're just talking to a person, right? You know they're they're not like recording you where they can play it back. Yeah, you're, you're more <laughs> self-conscious when there's a camera. Yeah, you know, yeah. like uh, people can like watch this over and over and like see little thing. I don't know. There's a whole I, thing. I couldn't imagine doing an acting gig where you have to perform <clears throat> and there's actually a countdown <laughs> clock. In Do your scene. You got one minute. Go. <laughs> yeah, that'd be that terrible. Should, that should be the new, the new style, new technique. <clears throat> I'm sure movies would be terrible after that, but uh, yeah, keep them on budget though; they wouldn't go over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got one take, one minute. All the go. producers, yeah, they love that clock. Oh yeah, man. So, so before all that, uh, we had talked before about you traveling. We yeah. want to briefly run over like where you've traveled to and what what cultures you've picked up and cuisines you've picked up in your travels okay um yeah so to start out the whole traveling thing um came about because 
you know, I had this mentality where people that grow up in a, in a small little area and they never leave that area, mm-hmm. they have a very small mindset, mm-hmm. you know? Um, what are you talking about? I, are, you, are you talking about meat and taters? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's even politically correct. I don't uh, know. If you'd I say don't that, care. I, I hear my have got friends that say that. My, they're all here. They're meat and taters. Oh, sure. I love meat and taters. I mean, I love meat and, meat and taters. taters too. I'm not going to hate on meat and taters, but nope. um, but you're just surrounded with you know the the same type of people who have the same mindset as you, the same uh, culture, you yeah. know, and which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But I think it fosters um, a small view of the world, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, when I was younger, I always knew I wanted to travel. I always had like a big view of the world, even though I grew up in little, you know, buttfuck Waterford in mm-hmm. Michigan. Um, but I didn't have any idea as to what the world was like. And so, yeah, when I started cooking, um, I felt like I was plateauing where I was at. Like mm. I wasn't advancing. There's no restaurants in that area that are, you know, excelling or like pushing the envelope or anything like that. So I felt like at that point I had learned everything that I could learn there. So I was just like, you know what? I'm going to do, I'm going to kill two birds with one stone and I'm just going to take a job and wherever I can, somewhere else, you know, mm. outside the state, whatever. Um, and I want to cook food that I've never cooked before. Mm-hmm. So my first job was actually at a, a little Cuban cafe in the Everglades of Florida. There wasn't anything around for like 45 minutes. Um, but so they had a hard time staffing. So they provided me a house um, for free. Um, I flew down there and I worked there for about three months cooking Cuban food, which at that point I had never cooked. You know, Cuban? Um, paellas and, and stuff like that. And it was such a learning experience for me because one, I was around such different people. You know, I was working with Argentinians and Guatemalans and, you know, Mexicans and stuff like that. And just working with them and like learning a little bit of the language, a little bit of their cuisine, you know, it gave me more of an insight into their, their culture, you know, them as people. And also just, I don't know if you've ever been to the Everglades of Florida, but it's like, Comparatively, it's like what I imagine Alabama is like. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about swamp you know? baiters. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> but like with a lot of like Latin people. So yeah, it was an interesting confusing. dynamic going down there, but I loved it. Um, and so when the season ended, I ended up coming back to Michigan and I was working at a, a Polish restaurant, which that was another thing, even though I was coming back to Michigan. I knew that I wanted to do something different than what I had done. Uh-huh. So I found a job at a Polish restaurant. I had never cooked Polish food. Nice. Um, and then after about six months working there, I felt I had learned everything I could at that restaurant. And I, I was getting that, uh, <clears throat> the travel itch again. Mm-hmm. And so um, I saw a job in Alaska uh, working at a lodge in the national park. And so I just applied, not really thinking I was going to get it, to be honest. And then I got a call back and I was like, oh my God, like I'm going to, I'm going to move to Alaska, (laughs) you know? Um, So I did, I ended up, you know, quitting that job. I moved to Alaska. Uh, That Alaska, by the way, is one of the most beautiful places 
I have ever been, ever worked, ever lived. Um, That's what I've heard, yeah. Oh, it's just so gorgeous, especially in the National Park, because the National Park is untouched. Yeah. Besides yeah. the park road that goes through it, it is fairly untouched. So there's cool little things that happen in the National Park um, that happen because it hasn't been um, messed with by right. us. You know, right. uh, one example I like to use is there's a, a population of hares in the National Park. The hares are born with some sort of virus already inside of them. When the when the population of the hares gets too big, um, obviously all the, the foliage that they eat, they start eating way too much. The, the wolves migrate over because mm -hmm. there's a large population of hares and that's food. And then it messes with the whole ecosystem. So then all of a sudden this virus activates inside the hares and the hares start dying off. Whoa. And then the foliage grows back and the wolves migrate again. And so Whoa. everything just kind of like has a natural balance. Yeah, it's like in sync, you know. Wow. Which, you know, if we were building roads through there and hunting and whatever, like none of that I don't think would happen. So Yeah. Um it's just cool to see how nature is supposed to work. <laughs> right. You know, when we don't when we don't mess <laughs> it up. <laughs> yeah, before we come in and start, you know, tinkering with stuff. <clears throat> That's one of the uh, the two states I need to go to is Alaska and Hawaii, and then I I'll have been to all fifty. You haven't been to Hawaii? No. Why can I say it like oh. that? No, I haven't. Well, been to Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> well, you lived in California. I feel like I feel like a lot of people who lived in California. That's like an easy, you know. Yeah, it's it's vacation, easy jump. Right? Yeah, but when you're living in California, it's financially hard to just go to Hawaii for a oh, couple weeks. Oh, I know. Yeah, I guess I forgot yeah. about that. But my, yeah, I was living in San Diego, as you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can't just pick up and just go to Hawaii for a week unless oh, yeah. you're I could really barely well get off. gas. <laughs> <laughs> I had a hard time just getting to work. Right, exactly. <laughs> Let alone taking a vacation to Hawaii. Yeah, I mean, that's on my bucket list. So I just got to hit, I got to knock that state out and then uh, Alaska. Yeah, and also, um, I always tell everybody, if you go to Alaska, try to go towards the end of the summer, early fall. Because one, it's a, uh, it's still beautiful. You still get that like summery, you know. There's no snow yet or anything. But also because the northern lights come out around anywhere from the end of August to the end of September. Okay. Which I saw, and it was <laughs> life changing. Yeah. Life changing. Nice. Like you look up, and there's just this one streak of light, which just looks weird. It almost looks like a jet stream, mm. and lights like hitting it. And then all of a sudden, this straight stream just starts like moving, doing this, wow. and it's like a piece of paper that's going like this. And then out of nowhere, it'll just explode. And yeah. then it's colors all over the sky, and they're dancing, and it's it's like magic. Yeah. It's the closest thing that you could ever see in real life to magic. And, you, and I'm, I'm assuming you have to be there to see it, like you can't capture oh, it. Oh, yeah. Like, you yeah. see pictures, you see videos, yeah. like that's cool, but until you're standing underneath it, Yeah. And it becomes like a tangible thing that you can see. Like it's, it's unreal. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but Alaska in general was, was one of the best places I've ever worked. And then also that was a tipping point for me, uh, career wise, where that was the first place that I was working with people who had really like honed their craft, mm -hmm. you know, um, a lot of the other places I worked, like they, they did what they did very well. Um, but this was the first place where pretty much everybody I worked with were chefs, not just cooks. 
you know. Uh, the difference that I like to explain to people is um, a cook knows how to do something and a chef knows why you're doing it. You I was know? literally about to ask you that to explain it for people. I've heard the ex- an explanation, explanation before, but that makes good. That makes sense right there. Yeah. Like, you know, a cook might know how to how to make sourdough bread, but a chef knows exactly why you're doing the steps that you're doing. You know, yeah. why? <laughs> why? you might add this or not add that or what Mm -hmm. time you're going to add it you know a cook can just follow a recipe essentially so yeah anyway my point is that i worked with all chefs and so that really like catapulted my knowledge Mm -hmm. and then also just seeing them do what they were doing and you know feeding off their knowledge it really like ignited a flame underneath me to like pursue that much more so um and so then yeah after i left alaska oh oh and then when i was in alaska i uh i started dating a bulgarian girl (laughs) as you as you tend to do when you work seasonally you know we have what's called uh j1s or h2bs um j1s get visas for the year or like four months and they're sponsored by their job and then h2bs uh they can stay here for however long, as long as they find another job to get yeah. sponsored by. The work um, visa. But they're all for, the what? Work visa program. Yes, correct. Yeah. correct. Um, and usually it, it's like college students, they can do it while they're in college and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I met this Bulgarian girl. Um, we ended up dating after the first, I don't know, three weeks. And so after the season ended, <clears throat> obviously she had to go back to Bulgaria. Mm-hmm. And so we ended up going to Hawaii uh, on vacation, and then we went to uh, Chicago, and then we parted ways from Chicago. And so I told her that I would move to Bulgaria. <laughs> like, that's, I know, it sounds crazy, but I'm telling you, it's, love makes you stupid. You Something know? had to change. Yeah, either she had to yeah, come back or you had to go. Yeah, but love also makes you stupid. <laughs> make stupid decisions when you're in love. So I ended up, going over to Bulgaria for um, New Year's. I was there for like a week. Um, and then I came back. And so then from that point on, I had planned my move. Like I, I once I came back, I was like, oh my God, it's gorgeous there. Hmm. Cause when I went there, we also went to Istanbul. Um, we went to uh, Greece, um, went to all these places. And so I knew I wanted to be there, you hmm. know, not just with her, but also because the culture is so amazing over there. Uh, so then, yeah, in April, I ended up moving over there. I was there for three months. Uh, ended up getting a job at this like super high end uh, restaurant illegally. <laughs> illegally, I did not have my work visa because uh, I was stupid. I didn't know that if you get a work visa, you have to get it in your country before you go to that country. Uh, okay. Uh, I thought I could go there and it would actually make it easier. Like, oh, I'm in the country yeah, already. Like, I got this job lined up. Work visa, yeah, you know? I'm already working. Just paperwork. <laughs> yeah. They're like, what? You're already working? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> get out of here. Um, so, yeah, I, I got there and then I tried to get my work visa. And then once I realized that, I was like, oh, my God. Like, like no matter what, at that point, I knew I was going to have to go back, you know? Yeah. Um, so then, yeah, when I, I ended up coming back, uh, we separated because we just realized it was too much of a hassle, you know, for, for me to go back over there. Um, 
And then it was not long after that is when I took my first season at Roach Harbor on San Juan Island, which has been my recurring summer uh, position for the last, this will be my fourth, fourth summer. Mm, okay. Yeah. And uh, that place I love because one, it's also like the second most beautiful place I've ever been. Um, but two, I kind of like how it's this like, it's got the small town vibe, mm-hmm. but not the small town mentality. Right. If that makes sense. That's the one in up in Washington State, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So actually from Roche Harbor, the, the resort that I work at, you yeah. can look across and see Canada. Right. Like that's how close it is. It's like five miles. Yeah, um, all those little islands up there n- near Seattle, Washington State. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was born on uh, Whidbey Island over there. You were born on Whidbey? Mm-hmm. No way. I, yeah, I told you that. Did you? <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, now I feel like a dick. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's, just, it's one <laughs> of our it's one of our random text chats. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was born on Whidbey Island. Uh, I've never been to Whidbey. How is Whidbey? Uh, I don't remember it. So don't know. <laughs> I was just born there. <laughs> I think I was like one when we moved. I was just born on Whidbey Island because your grandpa was stationed up there in Oak Harbor. Oh yeah, I do remember this conversation. Yeah, and then we and we then moved you, you to guys Maine. moved to Maine. Yeah, yeah, yeah and that's okay. when me and your dad lived together. First stint. How was Maine? Because Maine is on my bucket list. Maine is gorgeous. Maine is is like Washington State. Like the trees and the foliage, it's just gorgeous up there, especially spring it, and fall. Does it get a lot of snow? Yeah, from what I remember, there there was a lot of snow, but I just remember the fun summertime, spring and ice cream truck coming by and getting Ninja Turtle ice creams with the hard gumballs that break your teeth. <laughs> oh, yeah, that your <laughs> That's teeth. what I remember. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and we used to ride bikes and go down oh, to the Dairy Queen down the street. Like it was a lot of outdoor, just gorgeous out there. Yeah. Yeah, because that's probably number like three on my bucket list as far as states that I. Wait, want you haven't to been to Maine? <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, fair enough. Fair enough. I see why it's insulting now. <laughs> yeah, I'm just kidding. So, <laughs> so um, other than that, though, like, what other um, countries and cultures have you studied and, and cooked? Um, so then after uh, after Roche Harbor, um, my. What was it my first season where did i go yeah so after my first season at roche um was when i went to the florida keys okay um i actually or no i went back to michigan and then i went back to seattle and then i lived in seattle for about three months mm-hmm. um you know the thing like i love seattle uh-huh. i love it uh during the summertime but fall and winter time like man people have to just be killing themselves left and right Right. like it is so depressing in (laughs) seattle in the winter time like it's i was there for three months and i would have to say it rained maybe maybe two days out of those three months it did not rain yeah like i wanted to i literally contemplated ending my life (laughs) almost every day because it was just so dreary and depressing and you can't walk around with an umbrella because <laughs> because there's like a a stigma there where if you walk around with an umbrella like you're a tourist and everybody's looking at you 
What? Yeah, it's it's what? weird. Everyone just accepts it. Everyone just accepts that they're, they're just, just wet. Like, yeah, I'm they're just, just wet all it. the time, and it just, just is what it is. Plan your day, like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, around this, like torrential downpour. Um, so yeah, I ended up leaving there for the Florida Keys. That's yeah. how much it messed with my. You needed. I was sunshine. like, okay, this is so depressing and dreary <laughs> that I am going to the farthest spot in the United States away from here. <laughs> And so, the, yeah, I ended up going to the, the Keys. I was on uh, Big Pine Key. Okay. Looked at uh, Little Palm Island Resort, which, <laughs> as far as actual, like, resorts that I've worked at, mm-hmm. it is gorgeous. I mean, it's the only the only private island resort in the United States. Um, it's, it's literally just, like, maybe, like, one block. Like, that's how big the island is as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole island is just this resort. And I mean, just imagine like tropical resort, like Tiki Hut, you know, cabins. And um, also the food there that we were making was also like a step above anything I had done, you know, at that point. Besides Europe. When I was in Europe, we were doing like molecular gastronomy, which I don't know if you know what that is. Yeah. 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 Like a lot more of the like modern cooking. I call that future nitrogen. food. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I just it's uh, like everything. It was more like science experiments science than actually yeah. like cooking. Sous vide and all that stuff that they're yes, doing. Exactly. Yeah. Um so yeah, then when I went there, it was besides that, it was a lot more um elevated. Mm-hmm. Um but also just I mean, you can imagine the Florida Keys are absolutely gorgeous. Right. Uh the only thing and I I don't want it to feel like I have a complaint about every place <laughs> that I've lived. <laughs> I don't know if that says something about me, but no. I do. I have a complaint about every place that I've. There's <laughs> positive lived. and negatives for everything, so that's a balance. Yeah. So uh, it's gorgeous. Um, yeah. Obviously, it was hot, but there's. I don't know if you know what noceums are. Mm-mm. Okay, so noceums are like molecular-sized mosquitoes Ooh. that that run in gangs, <laughs> like of thousands of them. So if you're pretty much at nighttime like from dusk like when the sun's just setting until when the sun's just rising is like the worst times for them but if you go out there with any skin showing i mean Mm. anything your eyelids doesn't matter what it is they will find it they will find it and they will bite you and And it's it's not it's not like a mosquito bite where mosquito bites don't hurt they just are eventually itchy you know these hurt and then they're 10 times as itchy as a mosquito are they like little oh, gnats or something? Like, yeah, but oh. smaller than a gnat. Oh, like geez. you can't, you can't see them. Hence yeah. the name, no seems. No seems. But yeah, okay. it, yeah, <laughs> they they were ungodly. So that is, was my only complaint about the Florida Keys. Um, other than that, yeah, it was absolutely gorgeous. Um, so yeah, actually that leads me into. So then when I was there was when I won my my qualifying competition for. Uh, the World Food Championships. Mm. <laughs> and my buddy who worked at Roche Harbor still, he contacted me um, about potentially coming back. And so I saw it as an opportunity for me to, because he was a good chef as well, mm. for me to pair with him. And then I was going to have him actually help me during the competition. He was going to be my one of my sous. Okay. Um, so I ended up going back to Roche for my second season. Uh and it ended up not working out with him. He ended up uh, quitting 
Um, and so we didn't end up working together for the competition or anything, but mm-hmm. that led me into, cause I had no plans at that point of returning for another season at Roche. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Um, but then during my second season, after he left, I became the, the head chef of the restaurant that I was working at. Cause I got hired as the sous chef. And then after he left, I took over. Hmm. Um, and it gave me a, a better appreciation for the resort and the island and everything, you know? And so, yeah, the second season was the season where I was like, okay, this is going to be like a place that I go to every summer, you know? Right. It kind of became like a second, second home. Second home. Yeah. Say. Headquarters. <laughs> yeah. That's my hub. That's my hub. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what led you to San Diego? Um, so a job, I mean, pretty much most of the places, uh, that I've worked or that I've lived, um, it's for work, you know, that's obviously the whole thing. So when I, when I finished my second season at Roche Harbor, um, I contacted, uh, the restaurant group that owns little Palm Island resort because i i thoroughly enjoyed working there and i also enjoyed um even though it's corporate because it was owned by a a restaurant group Hmm. um i enjoyed how they ran the resort you know a lot of places are corporate they're they're not great to work for but this place it just it was they actually cared about their employees and everything you know so i ended up contacting the actual restaurant group um the vice president of the restaurant group because he was over at little palm island while i was working there and so I got his phone number and everything. We became pretty close. And I asked him, I'm like, hey, is there any like resorts that, you know, are hiring right now for sous chefs? I mean, cooks, like anything, whatever. Um, Cause they have restaurants all over. I mean, there's like, mm-hmm. I don't know, six or seven of them. And so he told me that there was a, a restaurant that was hiring in um, just outside San Diego at the time. Uh, can't remember what it's called now, but the chef, who works there now he is actually he was the sous chef at the willows inn from lummy island i don't know if you know what that is Lummy island okay so the the willows inn is a it was an inn from i don't know the 1800s or whatever and then it ended up closing down and it was vacant for a long time and then this guy um chef blaze i can't remember his or yeah blaze blaine i think blaine anyway he worked at Noma in Copenhagen. Uh, oh, okay. Do you know Noma? I don't know Noma, but I know Copenhagen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so so Noma is uh, a three Michelin star restaurant. It has been consistently in like the top three restaurants in the world on mm-hmm. World's 50 Best. It is arguably the best restaurant in the world. I mean, the stuff they're doing over there is just insane. Uh, uh-huh. Cutting edge. And so this guy was actually, he worked under Rene Redzepi, which is the chef of Noma, okay. uh, for, I don't know, like a year or two. And so then he ended up coming over and buying the Willows Inn, and he's turned it into um, just this amazing place that locally sources all their ingredients, you know. Um, it's kind of like the Noma of over here, mm. you know. Right. So so anyway, the chef of this place that I was going to work on, he worked under that guy. Okay. And so I was like, oh, this is an amazing opportunity, you know? Yeah. Um, and so then when I, I left Roche Harbor, I had my U-Haul and it was towing our car. And the first day I ended up stopping in Federal Way, Washington, which I didn't know 
but apparently is the ghetto of Washington. Because, hmm. like, being from Michigan, like, I know what a ghetto looks like. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you look across and there's, like, pawn shops and there's, you know, jewelry stores or whatever. Like, a ghetto and liquor stores, mm-hmm. a ghetto, in my mind, has a certain look. The ghettos in Washington State do not look like ghettos. <laughs> there's Buffalo Wild Wings and there's a Starbucks and stuff. Like, it's not... <laughs> It's not the same ghettos. Uh, So I ended up stopping because it was raining. And I didn't know that I was stopped in a bad area. So I I ended up going into the hotel, uh, parked my U-Haul and everything right outside under light. And I came out in the morning and my whole entire U-Haul with the car was gone. Whoa. Stolen. It's Trey hijacked you. I know. So like, and this was, uh, at the time, this was, Um, the first time that my girlfriend who I was moving to San Diego with, this was the first time she had ever lived off of the Island. Oh, so this is her first experience with like moving off of (laughs) San Juan Island. She's like, ah, the world's a scary place. Welcome to the rest of America. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Welcome to the real world. This is what it's like. So all your stuff was gone. Yes. So all of our stuff was stolen. Um, at first I thought that that I I got it towed or something. Like I parked in an area that I wasn't supposed to park. So I called all the, the tow places in the area. Um, and then I realized that it was not towed. So I ended up calling the police. They found it five hours later, uh, parked behind this middle school. And the people had sawzalled the, the latch that opens up the back hatch. Yeah. And they had popped the, uh, the lock out of the door to get in and like drilled into the ignition. Like it was a whole, they had tools, you know, like they were goddamn middle school kids, man. (laughs) (laughs) It's a gang of middle school kids. I'm telling you, (laughs) (laughs) I should have known because when I was in middle school, I hated all the kids. They were all dicks. So (laughs) I knew that they, this is what they do. But, uh, so so yeah, we found it. (laughs) So we found it and, uh, it was just empty. I mean, all the stuff that was left in there was, empty boxes and look you know it, it always surprised me too because we had a box of like liquor in there mm-hmm. like half half empty uh or half drank bottles of liquor and stuff and they stole everything besides the liquor hmm Which, i know because they're middle schoolers they're underage they can't drink <laughs> so like, they don't need that shit <laughs> that makes sense why didn't i think yeah, of that I'm telling you um, so yeah, uh, so they asked me like, "Do you like what? What do you what do you want to do?" Because honestly, it would have been better had they not found it, because then we could have just, you know, flown to San Diego, figured everything out. But now they found it, and now I had to deal with having this like broken U-Haul. Mm. With luckily, our car was still attached to the U-Haul. Um, they busted out the window. But they couldn't steal the car because I bought this like special cable lock that like attached it to the uh, the trailer. So now I was like, I have to get the window fixed. Uh, I have to turn in this U-Haul, which I also opted out of the, oh, the insurance. insurance coverage. Because yeah. who thinks that their U-Haul is going to get stolen? Uh, yeah, you know? I never buy the insurance. Yeah, I mean, I have now. Every single time something <laughs> offers insurance, I buy it because you never know. But um, wait, so, wait, real quick, so was this a uh, standalone U-Haul that you can drive, or was it the trailer that you hooked to your car? This is a standalone, like a truck. Okay, so they stole yeah. the truck, U-Haul, the whole truck, and your with car? the trailer attached to it that had our car on it. 
Oh, okay. That makes sense. Gotcha. So you yeah. were hauling your car with the U-Haul. Gotcha. With the U-Haul, correct. Okay. Um, so we had the car. Um, I ended up having to just return the U-Haul all busted up. I had to deal with the insurance issues. Spent mm. thousands of dollars on that. Um, we drove to San Diego. Now with nothing. Yeah. You know. Um, and while I was driving down to San Diego, uh, California shut down again for COVID. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I'm driving down for a job. Uh, I had just got an apartment in downtown San Diego mm-hmm. that was fairly expensive, but it was okay because I was, I had this job, you know, that was going to pay well. And and now I'm unemployed. <laughs> <laughs> I have nothing to my name. Uh, no I have this lease that was like $2,500 a month. I was like, oh my God, I just made the worst financial decision of my entire life. Um, but yeah, so I was like unemployed for like five months while this restaurant was uh, waiting for the, the closure to, you know, go away. Hmm. And so I ended up during this time, a buddy of mine was working at another resort in San Diego, actually. Uh, he actually came over to help us out over at Palm I- or Little Palm Island mm-hmm. for like a week when we were opening. And great chef. I mean, super cool guy. He was like a surfer guy, you know, so he's like super chillax and all that. <laughs> um, so I called him up and I was like, hey, man, are you guys hiring? Like, I just need a job. Like, I don't care what it is. And so he ended up actually hiring me. At that time, he needed a sous chef. So he hired me as the executive sous chef of his resort. Hmm. And it was better pay, better, I mean, better everything. So ultimately it did end up work out. Um, but I didn't really like California. So <laughs> I ended up having to leave because I was just, the culture there is different, uh, you know, yeah, as you know, I'm sure. Different. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I saw that you bought a new knife. Oh yeah. All right. How exciting so, was that? So, I mean, obviously that's like a thing that I have to do in my career, but no matter how many times I do it, uh, buying a new knife is one of the most satisfying things for me. And yeah. it always comes about because I have some task at work, um, some item that I have to prep where I'm like, God, I just wish I had a better tool for <sighs> this specific job, you know? Yeah. Um, so now I have like 12 knives because I always come across like one singular task that I'm like, I have a knife that's like almost good enough, but I'm like, there has to be a better knife out there. And so now I have 12 different knives yeah. for literally like one task. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But yeah, like when a mechanic I bought that and knife, tools. I mean, that was like a $400 knife. I was literally um, about to ask that how much it costs because I know those things are expensive. Oh, yeah. Japanese, Japanese knives are uh, my favorite because they're, generally speaking, they're high carbon knives. So high carbon knives, um, they're harder. Mm-hmm. So they keep an edge for a lot longer. Um, the downfalls for them though, are that unless you get a knife that is like stainless steel clad, Mm. they rust like immediately. So if I cut into anything that has any sort of acidity, like a lemon, onion, anything like that, Mm. if I set it down without wiping it off within like 10 seconds, it'll start to rust. Oh, okay. Like it's crazy. And then also because of the hardness, uh, uh, they're very fragile actually Mm. because like German steel is more flexible. So it keeps a, an edge for a lot less time, but you can cut through like cartilage and things like that. 
without the blade chipping because the blade has like slight give if that makes sense yeah also with the japanese ones they might chip if you're oh yeah like you're not supposed to you know like steels like a honing steel yeah um you can't use those on japanese knives oh okay because of the impact yeah because of the impact Uh but you could literally chip your blade every single time you use it so how do you you have to use a a whetstone whetstone you have to sharpen it on a stone but but people undervalue how important it is to have a sharp knife i think like the average everyday person there's the the old adage in uh kitchens that you're more likely to cut yourself on a dull knife than a sharp knife (laughs) you know see see now cena might argue that because we just got some sharp knives and what do i go and do I go and cut myself. You the cut first yourself? <laughs> Too damn sharp. <laughs> I'm used to having dull knives for some reason. And then when you have a sharp knife that just cuts through something like butter, you're like, oh, oh my yeah. God, this is so nice. And then I just, I nicked my hand. And then the second, I did it twice, I, I honestly. Uh, <laughs> so the first time I was yeah, cutting well, something and I cut my finger. And the second time I took it out and I pulled it out of its sleeve. But it was yeah. like wet. Whoever washed it, it was like still wet. And so it slipped, and then it sliced my finger open. But oh my like, god, you, you cut you, yourself not even using the knife? Not even uh, <laughs> using it for just, its intended purpose. It just I just it out took it like, out of oh, its sleeve. Myself. I was like, oh fuck, there goes my finger. <laughs> yeah, and and they're so sharp that you just barely touch it, and it just takes mm. it down to the bone. It's like holy shit. Oh, I mean, trust me, I still I still cut myself quite frequently. But uh, but the the thing with dull knives is that they'll catch. You know, so like a sharp knife, as long as you know how to like hold your hands, which is like curling your fingers. <laughs> don't do this. Yeah, don't do this. Yeah. Don't do this. Everybody. Yeah, I got to I got to learn the knuckle thing. Oh, yeah. No. So you're you're going to use your middle finger as the guide. Yeah. So you're going to curl your fingers and then use the middle finger as the guide for where you're cutting. You'll nice. never cut yourself that way. Uh, see, well, I'll, I'll probably be the first one to do it. <laughs> I'll cut my <laughs> knuckle. <laughs> Damn it! You're gonna end up on one of those uh, those like Gordon Ramsay reacts videos, uh, yeah, where you're much. like doing it, and he's like, "Oh, good job!" Oh, you cool fucking donut. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you cut yourself, and he's like, like "Well, Nick said to use the knuckle as a guide. I guided it into my knuckle." <laughs> yeah, that's basically how it'll go. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so like. Like I said, you're more likely to cut yourself on a dull knife because it's mm. going to slip. Yeah. Um, you have to you have to force it much more. You know, there's a yeah. lot more like unnatural motions that you have to do when you use a dull knife. Right. Because a knife, I know it sounds corny, but it's supposed to be an extension of your hand. Uh-huh. You know, you should be able to move a knife as if it's like your finger. You know, mm. you just you know everything. But if it's a dull knife, you have to start forcing things. And that's when it becomes dangerous. Right. What um? What would you say is one of your favorite things to? I know you probably have a million things to cook, but what's one of your go-to favorite things? I saw the tuna you posted the other day. God damn, that looked good. I had to oh, eat before the, uh, we hopped on here Ono, too, by the way, the so I wouldn't get hungry while we're talking. Yeah, the wahoo <laughs> tuna that looked good. He said the tuna. Well, what, what, what am I supposed to say? Uh, is no, that I ahi know, tuna or wahoo um, tuna? So wahoo is a uh, it's a fish native to Hawaii. So in Hawaiian they call it ono. Um, right. Oh, by the way, one of my favorite barbecue joints in California and I think Arizona now is Ono Hawaiian Barbecue. Ono Hawaiian Barbecue. Uh, it's hands down. I I will 
pay anybody to ship me some. I'll fly out there just for it. I want to open a franchise of Ono Hawaiian Barbecue. Are they sponsoring this podcast? Is that yeah, all sponsored by Ono Hawaiian Barbecue? <laughs> if you like Hawaiian like Barbecue, a... yeah. <laughs> Are you hungry? Do you this like barbecue? This podcast brought to you by Ono Hawaiian Barbecue. Do you like Spam Musubi? Barbecue chicken? Oh, I so actually good. love Spam Musubi. Spam mm-hmm. Musubi, and uh, there's another one, I think they call it Loco Moco. Mm-hmm. And it's a breakfast food. So it's like yep. Spam. Uh, rice, a brown gravy sauce, and egg. Yep, and it yep, is, yep. if you're hungover in Hawaii, like that's yep. what you have to eat. Yep. It is by far the best hangover cure. Yeah, they've got good cuisine there. Um, but yes, uh, that was one of the specials, the Ono dish. That was one of the specials that we just ran. Because um, right now we're doing a prefix menu. So a prefix menu is a fixed price menu. So you pay, you know, X amount of dollars when you come in. Um, and you get the same courses as everyone else. Instead okay. of you coming into a restaurant, they hand you a menu. You're like, I want this as the appetizer. This is the entree, blah, blah, blah. Um, you come in and then you can choose between a six course or an eight course tasting menu. You oh, pay cool. whatever it is. And then we send out the dishes. There's generally speaking, there's no temps. Everything's medium rare or however it's intended to be cooked. Right. Um, if you want to be you know a piece of shit you can get your <laughs> steak cooked well done i guess <laughs> I for everybody listening don't order your steak well done no, we do judge you and you're a dick <laughs> <laughs> that's a golden rule is you you just order how the chef's supposed to how the chef exactly. recommends it yeah that's uh, what i liked about some... um have you had uh umami burger uh, the chain they have them in umami la burger, and i think chicago no. so they make really good burgers and it used to be uh, medium medium or medium rare it was the only way you could get it but it was oh, a really nice. good burger yeah now though we went back um years years later now and we went back and they allow you to choose how it's cooked so they've changed no yeah they We're sold like, out what yeah they did they sold they did. out they went corporate <laughs> <laughs> yeah they started getting chains and then they're like ah we gotta we gotta accommodate the pieces of shit. Probably, the world. yeah. The pieces of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing sets off a steak like some ketchup. <laughs> yeah. See, there's there's got to be a line. You gotta yeah. you gotta draw a line as a professional who respects, you know, his cuisine, and that's the line. The yeah. line is, we do not serve steaks with ketchup. Yeah. We don't care if you request it. You're not getting it. You're not getting it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just. I'll it cook is... it well done, and I'll judge you, but I'm not giving you ketchup. Well done. Oof. So uh, what do you recommend? Medium, medium rare, rare? Medium rare. And there's actually yep. a reason for that. And so I'm going to explain it to everybody. Sweet. Go for it. <laughs> so <clears throat> the reason why medium rare is the the perfect temperature is because fat starts rendering at 120 to 125 degrees. That's when fat will render. Hmm. So if you cook it underneath that, like a lot of people, you know, they like their rare, their blue mm. rare. Uh, the fat will not be rendered. And so it'll still be tough. Mm. Um, chewy, you know. Mm. Um, the fat also won't be melted into the meat, which everyone knows fat is the flavor. Right. You know. Um, if you cook it over 125 degrees, then you're cooking the fat out of it. It's rendered now and now it's leaking out. So now your meat is becoming more dry as you cook it. Mm, and less flavor. So 120 to 125 degrees for beef is the perfect temperature because the fat will be rendered 
the flavor will be cooked into the meat. It won't be dry. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's, there you go. Yeah, there you have it. Now Medium everyone rare, knows that's how you order a steak. Yeah, <laughs> otherwise you're a piece of shit. Unless, <laughs> <laughs> or else you're a piece of. What's some other awesome recipes that you recommend, or things you prefer to cook? Uh, that's such a difficult question. I, I get asked that is. question a lot. In, uh, yeah, I know, interviews. I'm a piece of shit. <laughs> uh, yeah, so like I get to ask that question a lot. What do you like to cook? Um, honestly, like me personally, I I'm a sauce person. I love mm. sauces. Me too. I love condiments. So, yeah. Yeah, like I in the kitchen, I will take like all these different things in the fridge and just start putting them together and just see, you know, what I get. Mm. Uh, it's not always good, you know, but that's how you learn. Um, so yeah, I like pasta. I think pasta is probably one of my favorite things to eat, unfortunately, um, because I don't have the metabolism of my uncle here. Uh, so, (laughs) so, so I eat pasta and I look like I eat pasta, uh, (laughs) but no, I like, I like pastas because one, there's so many different variations of, of actual types of pasta. Um, I like the art of making pasta themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fresh, I think yeah. It's, yeah, exactly. Like watching people make pasta, especially by hand, um, is one of the most like satiating things for my soul, <laughs> you know? And then, uh, the sauces, yeah, there's just an unlimited amount of things that you can make and turn into a sauce that I just feel like pasta is the most versatile of all of the types of dishes, you know? Mm. I won't ask you any more stupid questions like that. I, I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, have you ever had boba? Boba. Is that boba tea? Yeah, man. No? No, I haven't. Um, not I know try it's a trend it? right now. I just can't get, <laughs> I just can't get behind little balls popping in my mouth when I drink something. It's just it's so it's not... so good. It's like a different texture. It's like something to chew on, the tapioca. Although, yeah, I, I think I've had, I went to this ice cream place this one time and it was like custard ice cream and they had all these different, uh, this assortment of ingredients that you could put on your ice cream. Yeah. And they did have these little squishy like ball, like juice type things. I don't mm. know if it was boba, but if it was, they were delicious. Well, but if it was the, them... the juice ones, then it was probably the popping pearls. Oh, Okay. But the t- so uh, no, I've boba is like boba. a tapioca. But those were really good. And I feel like if boba is even remotely similar to that, um, uh, I I like eating it. Uh, like eating it with something would be having fine. Having it in a straw but, is weird. Yeah. And like <laughs> drinking it. Also, okay, that actually leads me into a, a terrible story. But yeah, I think the reason for that is because uh, your brother, my dad, when I was like, uh, I had to have been like eight or something. Mm. I remember we went to the pumpkin patch and it was like super hot or something. So I ended up sitting in the car and he had this McDonald's cup sitting in the center console and I was so thirsty. I already know where this is going. Oh, shit. Because I know so what happened So I took it and I took like three big gulps <sighs> and it was his loogie cup. Oh, I thought it was cigarette it, butts. But that's worse. <laughs> and so when... Oh. And I swallowed it. I mean, I Blech. to this yeah to this Blech. day Blech. to this day I can remember the feeling of that, oh. and so I feel like that's what I associate with boba. Oh. 
Uh, I've had that happen before. We were at a friend's house. We had had like parties and stuff like that when we were younger. And I remember taking a drink out of a straw with a lid on it, like McDonald's cup or whatever. But I remember tasting it and I looked into somebody stuck a cigarette button there. They put out their cigarette in it. Oh, no. And I had drank uh, a loogie cup too. Yeah, that's actually happened to me because of my own self though, because I smoke. So I've forgotten that my like, you know, a cup of water. Yeah. And so... I've done that more times than I'd like to admit, honestly. Yeah. Or like a beer can, a beer can, like at a party. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, you walk away for a second, somebody puts it. Yeah. Yep. Still full, so you you don't feel the weight, and you're like, oh, Oh, yeah, you just say, oh, nice. (laughs) All you did is shake it up even more. (laughs) (laughs) Let me mix this cigarette butt up a little bit more. Yeah, exactly. You shake this up, get all the flavor. Man, you want want to know an interesting story about your, your grandfather? Oh, yes. So I don't even think your dad knows this. So we grew up in Colorado most of the time, and that's where he got sick. He got cancer, right? Yeah. And Cena always asked me to tell this story. So, um, so when he got really sick, we had to push him around in a wheelchair and like take care of him. He had cancer. He did not want to pass in the hospital, so he came home. He was at home. And he was in hospice and the nurse would come visit. And I remember we, me and your uncle TJ, who also passed away from cancer, he, uh, we were upstairs and then your grandpa and then my mom, Dreama were downstairs and the stairs that go up right by the bottom of the stairs was your grandpa's lazy boy recliner, like a big recliner that he got because it was hard for him to sit or walk so he had to sit a lot yeah and uh he was downstairs on the couch laying on the couch and my mom dreamer was with him all night and i remember waking up and walking downstairs and he was just throwing up blood pure blood you know everywhere oh my god and we had to sit there and hold bowls for him to throw up in and then run to the bathroom and dump them out and then come running back and that was like three hour process like of just seeing all this dark black blood i remember the smell to this day oh my god um and he you know he said his final words stuff like that and then he started hallucinating and and then his eyes finally rolled up in his head and so he passed away in the house right and my mom still had to work and so she was working like two jobs and me and my brother were always at home um while she was at work and it was a couple days after i remember we were upstairs in our room and i I was sitting there the tv was right right there and i'm sitting on the floor and then the door from the stairs was right to the left and we used to hear thump 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 now your grandfather was six six really tall you know 180 200 something pounds navy guy you know and I remember hearing thuk, 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 and the door was like open and then you could just kind of feel this cold ah. and I just remember looking over and just like I still get goosebumps to this day and I remember I'd be like we're okay dad and then you oh would hear God. you would hear thuk, 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 like going, going, back down the st- going back down the stairs yeah he was coming up to check on us my brother would sit there in the bed and we would just like freak out and 
it was so bad that my friend, my best friend, Jay Monroe, shout out to Jay Monroe. He, he came over to stay sleepover one night and it happened and we were in the bunk bed and I heard it. And Jay goes, what is that? And I go, oh, that's my dad. He's just coming to check on us. You know, and I'm like, it's normal to me now, but he's sitting there like pissing his pants. (laughs) And the same thing, you would hear it stop at the top of the steps and I would go, we're okay, dad, you know? And then you hear, thook, thook, thook. Jay Monroe pissed his face. He never slept over. He never stayed over again after that. And then He's one... like, all right, time for me to head out. <laughs> <laughs> he just, he was like under the sheet. Never came oh, back yeah. over after that. I had to go to his house <laughs> to play Legos or whatever. But one time uh, that happened and me and your uncle TJ decided we were going to follow it back downstairs. And so we hear it going downstairs and we peek and start going down the stairs. And as we come down the stairs, you can see over the railing, which was a metal seat, you know, railing. And all we saw was the recliner doing this. No. Just rocking. And so we walked. You're making this up. There's no way, right? I swear to God. And so we walked down the stairs. Oh my God. And your uncle, my brother TJ, we stopped next to the chair and it's going like this. And my, my brother barely puts his hand on it and it just goes. And then you can hear like footsteps going towards the bathroom, like down the hall and the carpet, you I don't, hear the carpet. I wouldn't care if that was a loved one or not. It, it was freaky. Yeah, I have it was, to move now. Well, well that's interesting because. <laughs> Sorry dad, but I'm out. Yeah, it's interesting. We moved to misery from Colorado and in the house we were in here in, in misery, um, there's a long hallway and there's a, the master bedroom doors right at the end of the hallway. Yeah. And my mom's bed was there and there was a, it's like an older bed with like shelves as the headboard and there were yeah. mirrors on the headboard. And I remember I was in the house by myself and I look down the hallway and in the mirror, I see a flannel shirt cross by, not, yeah. not in front of the bed though. I didn't see it in the bed. I only saw it in the mirror. In the mirror. Yeah. And oh your God. grandfather was buried in his flannel shirt. He always wore a flannel shirt. That was like his com- his go-to comfort thing, you know, yeah. was a flannel shirt. And so he was buried in that. So the I only saw that once. That's great. Yep. Your grandfather was haunting us. For- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have never, I have never had any sort of ghost encounter. Um, although, well, I do have one, but it was like a hallucination. Um, full disclosure, <laughs> when I was younger, uh i wasn't the savory individual you see before you so i experimented with a lot of uh drugs and whatnot (laughs) and so i took some drugs and i was laying in bed one night and i started hallucinating where the whole room turned green and all the lights started like playing tricks on my eyes and i look over and have you seen the movie the ring Mm -hmm. okay so I look over and I see like in complete detail, I see the ring girl. Oh, I don't know her name, but it was her. Uh, and she was floating with her toes, like just barely touching the ground. Oof. I could see like the strands of her hair. You know what I mean? Like she was there for all intents and purposes in my mind, she was there and I was frozen in fear, <laughs> but I knew 
that I had to turn on or I had to turn on the light that was right next to her. Like I could end this whole thing if I just turned on that light. But I was so petrified uh, yeah. in fear that I could I was just staring at her like shaking, like almost like sleep paralysis. And so finally I like mustered up enough energy and motivation to just ah and I like ran screaming towards her like ah and then flipped on the light and it's a coat hanging oh. on my doorknob oh <laughs> yeah but i was i was so embarrassed of myself <laughs> that that happened but that was like the closest experience i've ever had to like that'll do seeing it. anything supernatural do you remember what it was you took uh i do but i'm not but we don't need to live. Yeah, but, but if you that. remember what it was you took, you're probably like, I'm not doing that again. Never did it again, I'll tell <laughs> you there, what. There you go. <laughs> yeah, every time you post something, I'm like, God damn, that looks good. <laughs> I need to, need to go where he's at or get him out here or something. I'll tell you what, I'm not coming to Missouri. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but have you ever been? I have not. You haven't been to Missouri? <laughs> okay. <laughs> See, All right, that one doesn't see, work, this, though. No, it doesn't, because there's no reason to come here. There's no reason. <laughs> yeah, the fact that you call it misery, misery is yeah, enough for me. That's all I need to know about the place. It, that's all it is, man. Uh, it's it's chill. It's a cool place. It's just... Yeah, but at least you still get to... You still, like, travel for, like, mm -hmm. work and different projects and everything, yeah. you know? Uh, they call it the flyover state. Why do they call it that? Because that's what you do is you fly over it. <laughs> you just Literally. fly right over it. Yeah. Oh, that's Missouri. <laughs> yeah. You like connect from New York to Chicago or Chicago to Dallas or wherever to LA and you're flying over the Midwest, Missouri. My friends actually opened up a restaurant here. They have a really, um, really nice restaurant here and it's called Flyover. Because of that. <laughs> it's called Flyover. Yeah, it's called Flyover. And they have a that's big funny, uh, propeller airplane is their sign. <laughs> He's like... It's called Flyover, but we actually do want you to come in. Please, <laughs> yeah. please stop. <laughs> this episode sponsored by Flyover <laughs> and Ono Hawaiian Barbecue. <laughs> Just, flyover. Right, it's right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Man. Uh, All right, well, good catching up, bro. I appreciate you hopping on. Yeah. Everybody go, go like his Instagram, Facebook, follow him, send him a message. If you uh, need any recipes or suggestions, if you're a sous chef or a cook or want to get into it, uh, Nick has a lot of insight into it, a lot of experience. So feel free to reach out Absolutely. to him. Absolutely. Cool. I welcome anybody to ask me any questions. Uh, ngrovener92 on Instagram and uh, Nick Rovener on Facebook. All the links will be down below if you're watching this on YouTube, um, on the podcast. If you're listening to this on anything else, then those are what they are. Just look up Nick Rovener. Thanks for hopping on, Bye, man. All right, bro. See ya. Have a good one.